Welcome to episode number 65 of Talking Mopars. Happy New Year, my friends. Let's hope 2021 is better than 2020. Let's hope we all stay healthy. And let's all hope that the car events that we all know and love can happen once again. We are back to business as usual here at Talking Mopars with a fun year ahead. If you've enjoyed the Direct Connections episodes, the videos, the content I post to the Mopar Hunter page, and everything else here at Talking Mopars, then you're going to be happy to know that this is going to be the biggest and best year yet. But the year has just begun, and I wanted to start the year off with an old-fashioned episode with Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, listener stories, and I'm going to give you guys an update on all my Mopar projects and a recent Mopar fail that I have to get off my chest. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. This week's Project Car of the Week was posted Wednesday, December 30th at 3 p.m. Here is the ad. 1968 Dodge Dart GTS 4500. 1968 Dodge Dart Original GTS 344 speed. Was converted into a drag car in the 70s. Has a big block K member and is set up for an automatic now. Body is solid, only a couple of very small spots. Fiberglass bumpers and trunk lid, 456 gears, and super stock suspension. Line lock, fuel cell, fender exit 440 headers. Have most of the chrome and many other parts. Have clean title, asking 4500 or best offer. Do also have a rebuilt RV 440 and big block 727 that is included. All right, folks, what a cool little car. You guys know that I love these vintage drag cars. They're very cool. And it's kind of a shame that this one was a GTS at one point, a 344-speed GTS, nonetheless, and it was converted to a drag car. That's a little bit of a drag, but that's all right. You know, it's 4,500. If you're looking for a Project Dart, specifically a 68, which is a great platform for a super stock clone or tribute car, this might be the one. It does need a lot of work, though. That's the only downside to this one that I see. You know, it's... It was pretty popular on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. It reached over 217,000 people, had over 26,000 engagements. You know, on the page, there was over 100 comments, over 800 shares. And on the page alone, there was like 11,000 likes or something like that, 12,000 likes. So it's a pretty popular car. And a lot of people were saying some cool things about it. This is one of those cars... You know, it was converted to a drag car in the 70s, so likely it needs a lot of updates, but I do think it's a cool platform to start a vintage drag car build. I think that there's going to be a big spike in these vintage drag car builds. It already has the rear wheel openings carved out for some big slicks. That's cool. It's got the super stock suspension on it. It's got a great stance. This thing needs a big block and it needs some period correct goodies and this thing is good to go depending on how crazy you want to get with it now me i like the idea of a ratty vintage drag mopar that's me you might go 4500 no thanks <laughs> or or maybe you want to take this car and bring it back to its original form which was a gts 344 speed that would be cool too and my friends over at hemi pages that are running the build mopar project 
they're building a super stock tribute car with a Gen 3 Hemi in it, which I think is a great idea. And I think there's going to be a lot more of those darts built and those Barracudas. The 68 super stock tribute cars with modern Hemis, I think that's a thing. So, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's your deal. Maybe you get this car, maybe you put a Gen 3 in it, or maybe you just go old school, big block, dual quads. Who knows? Maybe you want a blower. I don't know. All I know is that 68 Dodge Darts in reasonable condition are hard enough to find. And when you find real nice ones, you know, they're. it's not too uncommon to see them go for two or three or even four times the price of this one. And even, even more than that, depending on the originality of the car and the condition. So to see a Dodge Dart GTS 344 speed car, you know, granted it has none of the original parts on it, but to see that going for 4,500, that's pretty good. I mean, it's not 1980 anymore, folks. You're not going to get these cars for 500 bucks. And if you do, hey, buy as many as you can because you're about to get rich. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 4,500, I'm not complaining too much about the price. Of course, I'd go in there and try to get it for three, but that's me. 4,500, I, you know, I can't complain about that price. I, I just, there's something about these vintage drag cars that I just love. And this one fits the bill perfectly. So maybe you're into that. Maybe you like A-bodies. Maybe you like vintage drag cars. If so, this is the one. Maybe you have a second generation Hemi around and you're just looking for a 68 Dodge Dart. And, you know, let's be honest, the original Superstock cars, rare and expensive. Probably one of the most expensive Mopar muscle cars out there, you know, if you were to go buy one. Um, easily six figures. Uh, depending on condition, even tribute cars are knocking on the door of six figures. So at 4,500, I think this is a great start to what could be a really cool build. So go check out the ad. Hopefully it doesn't sell by the time you get over there. Remember it was posted on December 30th. That was Wednesday at 3 PM. Go check it out. No Mopar left behind. If you enjoy all the content that I provide on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, if you enjoy this podcast or you simply want to enjoy more content, you should become a supporter of the Mopar Hunter today. As a supporter, your loyalty will get you exclusive access to the following benefits. Exclusive access to the Mopar Hunters Association Facebook group. Exclusive live streams bonus podcasts, exclusive video content, a members-only discount code for the Talking Mopars merch shop, special giveaways, and links to all the cars, parts, and Mopar collectibles that you won't see shared on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, all for only $4.99 a month. That's $1.25 a week, folks. That's the same price as the auto traders were that I used to read as a kid. It's the price of a beer. So buy me a beer, folks, all right? You can become a supporter by going to the Mopar Hunter Facebook page and clicking the blue button that says Become a Supporter. Thank you all for your support of the No Mopar Left Behind movement. This week's high-performance part belongs to the two 1970 Dodge Challenger RTs featured in the music video Show Me How to Live by Audioslave. These two 1970 Challengers were used because in the video Show Me How to Live, it was basically a tribute to Vanishing Point, one of the greatest Mopar movies ever made. Anybody that knows Mopars, especially you E-Body fans out there, will know that Vanishing Point has an iconic white 1970 Challenger RT, and 
that's the car they used for the video. Like I said, it was a tribute to Vanishing Point. Really cool video, really fun to watch. They even had some Mopar police cars in the video as well. Very cool video, great song. Rest in peace, Chris Cornell, taken from us too soon. Go check out the video on YouTube. Rumor has it that out of the two cars used, one of them was given to a fan, which is pretty cool. I'd love to have the Audio Slave music video car and a tribute to the Vanishing Point movie, so that's awesome. That was this week's high performance part, the 1970, well, the two 1970 Dodge Challenger RTs in white featured in Audio Slave's music video for Show Me How to Live. Special thanks to Joseph Rude for giving us this contribution for high performance parts. It's time once again for listener stories. This week's listener story was sent to us by Cody Caps. Here is Cody's story. Hey man, how's it going? I love the podcast and it always helps my day go by faster. I'm currently in a job position where I babysit a plasma torch on a track. Real boring shh, by the way. So my love for Mopar started young. My papa, grandpa, would always let me pick the toys I wanted for Christmas. So just imagine a little black-haired boy going up to different toys in Walmart. I grew up in the 850, the Florida Panhandle. It is a Ford and GM-dominated market. Bob Forty was the only guy around who really dealt with the Mopar brand. Awesome dude and runs a dealership too. So back to my story. My papa set me down in front of a Power Wheels GM truck. This was maybe in 2001. I was too young to remember. But what did little me do? I ran to a Dodge Ram Power Wheels. Since then, he knew I was going to be different. My love and knowledge for those trucks led me to both my dad's 2000 and my papa's 2008. Now, my first ever Mopar was this clean 1994 Dodge Ram 1500. Yes, the clear was fading, the transmission needed some work, the dash was cracked, no surprise, huh? And needed a rebuild. The truck was a three-owner from Quincy, was bought from Bob Forty, and somehow ended back to me. It was identical to my power wheels when I was like three. I think the truck was meant for me. She only left me stranded one time, and that was because I ran the truck at 90 miles an hour on I-10 with a transmission that burnt fluid faster than you could put it in. I had bought a daily to drive around and fix it. Well, Hurricane Michael told me to go f myself and brought a tree down on it, which cracked and warped the frame on the truck. It was like I lost one of my kids. I, not long before, bought a 98 Ram 1500, which was 4x4 and came with a 5'9", unlike the 5'2 in my 94, and that's my project now. I guess I'm the new age of Mopar enthusiast. Right now, my daily is a beetle, but I do miss being in my Mopar. Hey Cody, thanks for the story. I too had a Mopar Power Wheels, only mine was a Jeep, and I also had a second generation Ram with a dash that was also cracking, so we have a couple things in common, buddy. Sorry to hear that you lost your first Mopar, but based on a lot of stories I've heard, it's probably easier to live with losing one at no fault of your own than letting it go and regretting it later. You know, we always hear those stories about the ones that get away. And hey, at least you got yourself another truck for a project, so that's cool too. I've always been a fan of the second generation Dodge Rams, and I've said in the past that the Dodge trucks make great project vehicles. Second gen Rams are especially great because they are still plentiful. There's tons of them in wrecking yards and salvage yards for parts. Second generation Dodge Rams, great projects. And I encourage anybody out there that maybe can't afford a Charger or a Barracuda or any of the other countless cool Mopars that are out there in the muscle car world, Dodge trucks make great projects. So don't shy away from them. Thanks for sending in your story, Cody. That was Listener Stories. If you want to hear your story on the show, there's two ways to do it. One, you can email me, chris at talkingmopars.com. Tell me your story and I will read it on the show 
The other way is to tell your own story by leaving me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR. Just remember that the messages are limited to around three minutes apiece, so if you go over that, fear not, call back, leave as many messages as you need to to get your whole story told, and we'll play it on the show. That was Listener Stories. Okay, folks, so I have some good news. I finally got some garage therapy and got back to work on my Mopar projects. 2020 was a complete cluster, and sometimes I wish I had gotten my projects in better order before I even launched this podcast, but that's not how things went, and now I'm just trying to get caught back up. I've just been neglecting my projects, and that's on me. So it was time for me to carve out some time that I really needed some much-needed garage therapy. That's what I call garage time working on your Mopars. I call it garage therapy because that's what it is for me. Some of you have actually told me that you enjoy working on your Mopars while listening to this podcast, and that's awesome. I'm glad that I've somehow become part of your own garage therapy. For me, garage therapy is what I need to clear my mind of all the other BS going on in the world and in my life. It allows me to focus solely at the project at hand And even though I'm usually listening to something in one way or another, it's my own personal quiet time. You know, even if I'm listening to music or another podcast, I just, I relax best working on my Mopar projects in the garage. That's just the way I operate. So how I've managed to even stay sane since the launch of this podcast while coming up with all my own BS excuses for why I don't have time to work on my stuff is beyond me, but somehow I made it happen. So No more excuses. I'm trying to get myself in that garage more often. I've managed to finally overcome that mental block of the excuses. And now I'm motivated once again to get cracking on my projects because there is a lot of work to be done. And I'm actually excited that I've finally made some headway. I recently got back to my rewiring project of my 76D100. And I remembered really quickly how much I hate wiring. It's not even the difficulty that can come with a project like rewiring a whole vehicle. It's just the process itself. I do not enjoy it. In fact, my favorite thing to do on vehicles generally is body work. I've had a couple jobs in the past where body work played a key role in my positions, and I loved it. I just wish those jobs paid me more back then, and I probably would have stuck to them. But that's not the way it works. And, you know, now I, I can't just sit here and tell you that I'm a talented body man or anything, because I'm not. But as far as garage therapy goes, body work does rank a tiny bit higher than the mechanical stuff for me, but that's just me. You know, some guys love working on engines. For some reason, I like the artistic aspect about body work, and I find it really enjoyable. I actually wish I could go back and study collisionary finishing work because I found it really fun to work in body shops, and all the ones that I've worked in have been pretty fun. But another skill that I wish I had and that I wish I had spent more time on is welding because I haven't welded since I was in high school. But the past is the past. And to be honest, I'm pretty resourceful. So if I need to learn how to do something, I'll just nosedive into the internet and do the research required for me to learn how to do it. And if I screw it up, I'll consider it lessons learned. The wiring project on my D100 was actually going great at first. I had all the engine wiring done. I had the wiring ran through the frame to the rear of the truck and the wiring in the front like the lights and stuff was all done and i did it as clean and as organized as i could you know for it being my first rewiring job i thought it was done really well all the wiring has nice wire loom on it 
and it's all nice and tidy, which was a huge improvement over the rat's nest that was there before. So it's not like I never got anything done, but the problem is I stopped midway through the job. And that's something that I hate doing, but I always do it. So I got to really nip that one in the bud and figure out how I can stop doing that to myself because it's always a pain to try to get back into the groove of the project, you know, the specific job that I'm doing. And in this case, it's rewiring the whole truck. So I'm actually dreading out of all the wiring, I dread having to do the dash wiring. And I don't quite know why, to be honest with you. I have all the wiring diagrams and all that. But when I look at the wiring I have inside the cab just waiting to be finished up, I do whatever I can to avoid it. <laughs> I just, I strategically left that part for last because I didn't want to get burned out on the wiring before I finished the job. And guess what? I still got burnt out on it. Go figure, right? But all's well that ends well because I'm almost to the point where the only wiring left to do is going to be in the cab. So there's no more avoiding it for me. Another thing that I started to tackle when working on my truck was I finally made the executive decision to upgrade the air management system. So all of that is being ripped out of the truck right now. So when this thing is finally rolling out of the garage under its own power, all I'll have left to do is make this thing safe. And that's tackling the issues concerning the geometry and fabrication of the rear suspension and then, you know, brakes and stuff like that. But that's the update on my D100. My Dart is a completely different story. The last time I worked on my Dart was when I was tearing apart the steering column to delete the column shifter. Another project I never completed, of course. So before I do anything else on the Dart, I'm going to finish that column shifter delete. And the next thing on the list for the Dart is dropping in the 318 318 that my buddy Kyle was so generous to give me. Thanks again, Kyle. I still have the 451 stroker at my buddy's shop. And for the time being, the big block swap is on hold until I can get the rest of the hustle stuff I need for the engine, like aluminum heads and all the other little odds and ends. You know, I've got to get an aluminum water pump housing and stuff like that. So I'm going to be gathering up those parts. But until then, I just wanted to drive the car. And I have pretty much all the parts to drop in this 318 and get it back on the road. So that's kind of what I want to do. And then iron out some other stuff before I get to the point where I want to swap the big block in. But I also have to figure out the rear end situation. I have to trim the lips on the wheel well openings to fit my 15 by 8 Kregers. But I just really want to get the dart up and running so I can beat the hell out of it and then get the big block in it. So... That's the uh, quick update on my dart for those of you wondering and here pretty soon I'll, I'll actually I've never actually given much content as far as showing you guys my garage and things like that and it's nothing impressive believe me but you know if you guys are going to listen to me all the time you might as well see what I'm talking about so I'll be putting out some video content for that it might be on my supporters only page so you might have to become a supporter to the Mopar Hunter for you to see it but we'll get back to that on a later date. The biggest issue I have with my Mopar projects is that I always want to add another project to the stable. That's what we call an addiction. <laughs> and, you know, hey, what Mopar enthusiast doesn't want to add more projects to their collection? You know what I mean? Unless you have a bunch of them already and you're just so knee deep in projects that you don't even know where to begin. Or maybe you keep buying them for $100 like Johnny Mopar and you have 38 chargers, <laughs> you know, sitting in your yard. I'm not that guy. I only have two project Mopars and, you know, that are in my garage and I'm always trying to find another way to squeeze one home. You know, uh, I can't fit another one in the garage and I can't park them in the backyard because I, I don't have access to my backyard like that. So 
The only other place is in the driveway and there's only one spot available. <laughs> and I already know what the next Mopar project is going to be for me. And that's a boogie van converted into a mobile podcast studio to take to future events. And I even have the van picked out already. My friend Stacy has had this van for a while. And since he's knee deep in his CUDA project right now, he just doesn't want to see the van sit. So I offer to give it a good home as any good Mopar hunter would do. But more on that special project at a later date. I've got all sorts of pictures and stuff, and we're going to do some fun video content for the boogie van rescue mission, if you will. <laughs> but here's the thing. There is another van that has found its way into my life, but I couldn't make the deal happen, and I blame myself. This was my Mopar fail. This was my, my deal breaker so to speak. This was the one that I couldn't make happen, but then I'm still trying to make happen. So let's talk about it. It's a mid-1970s Dodge B100 shorty with a 447-27 swap and an eight and three-quarter rear end. It's been sitting in the woods for like 20 years and has some weathered centerline auto drag wheels on it. It does have windows on the back and side doors, and I can tell that somebody wanted to make a fun street machine out of the thing, but it's covered in moss. It has you know, some rust issues, but none so bad that I'd be afraid to take on the project. But they did have me a little timid at first. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to tackle that. But the real kicker is that the van was listed for only 350 bucks. Okay, now you're probably wondering why I didn't make this deal happen. And I'm going to tell you why. My own stupidity. That's why. My initial reaction to the van was, wow, you know, this thing has potential. My second thought was, I don't want to pay 350 bucks. And it's not because the van isn't worth 350 bucks. It's my damn ego that got in the way and my tendency to nitpick issues with these project cars that I go and look at. You know, yeah, I know, I know. That's why they're called project cars. But um, there's just something about me. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's obsessive compulsiveness or what, but if, even if I'm going to look at a project car, I start nitpicking it. And usually that's what you kind of do when you're trying to knock down the price a little bit, but it's a whole different ballgame for me because I already go there with intentions to knock down the price. <laughs> you know, when I'm out there, it's like I'm almost like talking myself out of these deals. I'm like, oh, yeah, it needs this. It needs that. And then as it starts adding up in my head, instead of knocking the price down, I'm just, you know, forcing myself to make a real hard decision. Like, do I really want to get into this project? You know what I mean? But that's what I do. I nitpick these issues with project cars. So I need to get over that. But the truth is, this van would make a kick-ass ratty roadkill style van. The only thing that really scared me was that there was a section of the roof that meets the body where the seam had rusted through to the point where you could see into the van. That was the only glaring issue that I saw with the van where I was like, ooh, that's not good. You know, can it be fixed? Yes, of course it can be fixed. But it was just something where I was like, do I really want to take on another vehicle with problems like this? But... And, you know, I really don't have any other, my other two Mopar projects are pretty good on rust. You know, there's some, some issues, but nothing like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and you know, there's a couple other little minor cancerous rust issues on the bottom of some of the doors, but no big deal. You know, when I was looking at this thing, I thought ratty roadkill style van. It's a big block van. It's cool. It'll be fun for burnouts and stuff like that. But I don't know what it was, but something got in my head where I was like, I do not like the body separating from the roof like that. And it it wasn't very much. And I could tell that it was just a little bit of cancer that had eaten away. Um, and it, this kind of stuff can be repaired. You know, I don't know what got in my head, but 
The fact is that the parts alone on this van add up to well above 350 bucks, making this a killer buy. Now, why didn't I take it home? That's a question that I ask myself every day. Well, you know, I wanted to see it before I made the transportation arrangements since I didn't have a trailer to rent or borrow at the time. Yada, yada, yada. Here I am making excuses again. But I, I went with the intention of buying this thing on site if it was a good deal and then figuring out the transportation after the deal was already done and all the paperwork was signed so that that pressure was done and all I had to do was figure out how I'm going to get the van out of there. And I already had some ideas, get a trailer or, you know, call a tow company. But one problem was that the seller didn't want to do any paperwork until, including exchanging money, until I was actually ready to haul the van out on the same day since it needed to be towed. And that was problem one. I actually, you know, when I go to these deals, I have all the paperwork already. You know, I have the bills of sale. I have the declaration of value. I have all that stuff, the release of interest. I got all of the paperwork I need to make these car deals. So I had it with me to make the deal on the spot. But, you know, they wanted the van to be hauled before any of that was done, which, you know, that I'm like, if I give you the money and we do the paperwork, then of course I'm coming back to get the van. I'm not going to leave it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I just didn't get that part of this situation. And it was kind of frustrating to me, to be honest, because I had the money in my pocket to buy this van. The other problem was that I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted it. You know, like I said, I was kind of talking my way out of this thing. And I don't know why. <laughs> I really don't. But my hope, you know, initially, my hope was that it would be a quick turnaround to having a little hot rod van that I could cruise around and do burnouts in until I got the other van for the podcast machine, you know, the podcast van. But I was also thinking about, you know, possibly even keeping it for a more extensive project down the road, but just having some fun with it for the time being. But it needed a little bit more than just a quick flip, but not too much more. That was my mistake as I let myself talk myself out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's a little bit too much work, blah, blah, blah. And that, that was a mistake. And I'll own that mistake. But the biggest problem in this whole thing, like I said, was the transportation aspect. The seller wanted it gone the same day as the sale. And if that was the case and I bought it that day, I would have had to have it towed because I didn't have a trailer lined up and walking away from it would just open the door for someone else to go scoop it up. I actually called some tow companies before I even went up there just to get an idea of what I was getting myself into. And I called um, a local tow company that supposedly has better prices, but I figure, you know, this is probably uh, a cheaper company that would probably be able to give me a decent deal to haul this van out to where I needed it to go. And they quoted me $300 to $350, depending on whether or not it rolled or not. <laughs> so I was like, are you kidding me? So at this point, I'm, I'm getting ready to spend the same amount on a tow that I would for the vehicle at full price. So at this point, I was up a certain creek with no paddle, and it was my own fault. But, and you know, to be honest with you, it was even hard to schedule a time to come look at it because of my schedule and the seller's schedule, you know, the seller may or may not have been a little wishy-washy, which was kind of pissing me off. But, you know, what can you do? You know, if they have the vehicle that you want, the ball is in their court, right? So here I was in this dilemma. And instead of pulling the cash out of my pocket and making an offer, boom, right there on the spot and just putting the tow bill on my credit card or something, I decided to just walk away, think about it. Because sometimes that's what you got to do. Sometimes, you know, impulsive buys 
or impulse buys can get you into that, you know, buyer's remorse situation. And a lot of us don't have that. You know, I've bought many vehicles where I had zero remorse, but this one, I just had this feeling about this one. So I thought, well, at least I can sleep on it at night and just see how I feel in the morning. So that there I am in this dilemma and I decided to walk away. I talked with the seller, hoping that by pointing out some of the major flaws, because I knew that they really weren't car people, the owner, the original owner of the van died and he had a collection of cars, mostly Chevy Corvairs, if you can believe that. But in this sea of little pieces of crap Corvairs was this big block van. So the actual seller now is basically just trying to clear out the property because they're moving onto the property and they don't want all these cars around because it was their dad's. So I'm hoping that by pointing out these flaws, the seller might be like, oh gosh, nobody's going to want this thing. If they see all that, I got this guy here. Why not just give him a good deal? So that was before I realized that they, you know, didn't want to do any of the paperwork until it got towed out. So that was a problem. But, you know, I was hoping that maybe they'd just say, hey, what do you want to offer? You know, they never gave me that opportunity. As a matter of fact, they said, you know, oh, someone will buy it. (laughs) So that's when they have that mentality, you know, it's going to be a battle. But instead of making an offer, you know, which I ended up doing later, I walked away and said that I may call again later and see if they still had it. As soon as I left the place, I started justifying in my head why it was a good idea to walk away from it. And, you know, not even a mile away from the place. I was already, I was already regretting the decision. I was already, you know, getting that regret settling in (laughs) so much so that I had already started organizing a plan to haul it out of there. I consulted a few friends that night and they know who they are and they helped me realize that I made a mistake. I should have made an offer there. There's a couple of different ways I could have went about this and I just, I just blew it. That's all there is to it. Now I'll own that. All right. But I ended up calling the seller in the following days and making yet another mistake. I made an offer of $150 hoping they just give in because they hadn't sold it yet. You know, original asking price, $350. I offer them $150. (laughs) So, I mean, that's less than half. And I I know what you're thinking. You're trying to deal on a $350 big block van? Are you out of your mind? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. And it was a mistake. I, I just, there's something about paying asking price. I just don't like doing it. But in this situation, I think I'm going to have to. But I I ended up calling them, making an offer of 150 bucks, hoping they'd give in, and they didn't. They ended up pulling the old, thanks, but other people are coming to look at it routine. And, you know, fair enough. So I said I would follow up again, and I just couldn't wait. I was already anxious to call again 10 minutes later. But I was like, all right, let's just wait a few days and just see how this plays out. Hopefully it sells so it can be out of my mind and I can just live with that regret, you know. But a few days later, I called again and asked if they had considered the offer, which they said they had. But again, more people were still coming to look. And the experience I had with this seller was that total wishy-washy, you know, oh, you know, I won't be there until, you know, this time, blah, 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 or, hey, let's do it on this day. You know, you can come up, work the deal. And it just never worked out. I even got stood up one day. I was supposed to go look at the van at four and they never got back to me. So that kind of pissed me off too. But, you know, so maybe that's where my $150 offer came from. I don't know. But 
So they said they considered the offer, but people were coming to look again. So all right, okay, I'll I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> in reality, I'm just sitting there like, you and I both know in a few days the van's still going to be for sale. You're just hoping that somebody else comes and offers you the full price or more than what I offered. So the negotiation here was bad on both ends. They should have countered. They never countered me. And I was expecting, you know, if I hit them low, maybe they hit me at 250 or something like that. And I would have, either way, I would have bought the van. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so here we are again, I'm filled with regret that I gave in and I just, man, I, I keep, every time I contact this seller, I want to say, just let me come get the van. I'll pay for the tow. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's what total investment. If I pay full asking price, you know, over 600 bucks, <laughs> you know what I mean? To have it towed out or close to 700. If you're talking about $350 towed, $350 van, that's 700 bucks right there. So now instead of a $350 van, I have a $700 van. So these things are all floating around in my head as I'm trying to work the numbers because, you know, do I have the money? Yes, I got plenty of money. I've got the money sitting for the other van right now to buy, <laughs> you know, so it's not, the money isn't the issue. The issue is, you know, deciding whether or not I really want this thing. And if I do, how bad I actually want it. You know what I mean? So again, I call a few days after that. And, you know, because I'm filled with regret for the way things had gone, I said, you know what? I gave in. I said, I'll pay full asking price but you have to be willing to let me arrange the transport for later in the week when I could actually get all the logistics figured out. Again, no paperwork until the van can be hauled away the same day. So here I am, ready to pay full price. That's 350 bucks. I decided to swallow my pride and go, you know what? I just want to make sure nobody else is going to get it. So maybe if I offer them full price, they'll give me a little bit of leeway and say, hey, you know, let's do all the paperwork and you can haul it out in a few days. But no, of course not. So... That's where I'm at. I've actually got all the transportation arrangements in line. I have everything I need to make this happen. <laughs> I even have a come along ready because I don't have access to a trailer with a winch. So, I mean, I've got axle straps. I've got everything to haul this van out. I, I even have a buddy with a trailer who's going to let me borrow it. So everything is set. I just have to call them, make a date, go up there, pay the money, do the paperwork and pull the big block van out. But here's the thing. Now I'm having problems pulling the trigger. I just can't seem to do it. And, you know, I feel like I'm going to lose out on this van if I don't just bite the bullet and call and get this deal done. But something in me wants to wait as long as I can until I just can't stand it anymore because I do not want to pay $350. And I know some of you are sitting there right now going, if there was a big block van, for $350 anywhere near me, I would buy it without hesitation, <laughs> you know, especially with the parts on the thing. And I just don't know what it is, man. Uh, send me some hate mail or something. Chris at TalkingMoParts.com. Tell me, hey, Chris, you're an idiot. Go buy that van right now. <laughs> Pay the $350 to have it towed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just convince me that I need to go buy this van. I need some help. I've, I've already got people telling me, you know, hey, you know, don't pay $350. Pay, pay this amount or... Just go pay, pay 350 and go get the van. What are you doing? You know, so I just need, I need, I'm on the, I'm on the edge and I need someone to just push me. <laughs> okay. So I'm probably going to call again in a few days. See if I can finally strike a deal on the ratty big block boogie van. 
there you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind, including go buy that van, you idiot, <laughs> to chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Special thanks to my friends over at HemiPages.com and DIYHemi.com. One last thing before we go, if you'd like to help support Talking Mopars, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is to head on over to the website, go check out the merch shop. There you're going to find all the current Talking Mopars merchandise like t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. So not only are you going to get some cool stuff, but you're also going to be helping me keep the wheels turning and the engine running on this podcast each and every week and continue to bring you all the Mopar awesomeness that I do every week. But there is also a new way you can help support Talking Mopars, and that's by visiting the Mopar Hunter Facebook page and becoming a supporter. Becoming a supporter gets you exclusive access to all sorts of fun stuff. For only $4.99 a month, you're going to get access to the following. At least one bonus episode of the podcast each and every month. One bonus live stream per month. A special discount code for the merchandise shop. Exclusive monthly giveaways only for subscribers. Access to the Mopar Hunters Association, which is the exclusive Facebook group for subscribers. You're going to get exclusive video content, bonus Facebook posts exclusively for supporters that show the other stuff I find while hunting Mopars on the interwebs, like Mopar collectibles, parts, and even some of the cars that I don't share publicly on Facebook, and more to be determined as time goes on and I develop the supporter benefits. So, either way, you can buy some merchandise, you can become a supporter for only $4.99 a month. That's $1.25 a week, the same cost as the auto traders that I read as a kid. You can help join the No Mopar Left Behind movement and help me to continue bringing you the best Mopar and the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. Thank you very much. No Mopar Left Behind. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.